Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, coming up in a couple of minutes, have you heard any good rumors lately as it relates to Brock Bowers? We got some fun stuff on that here. Seems like we could be getting closer to a return for the best player in college football, and that is certainly exciting. We will get to that here in a moment, perhaps kind of reigniting the flames of Brocktober. <laughs> here in november i don't know if that's true or not but we'll get to that here coming up in uh, just a little bit i got a funny look from kaylee manzel for saying that uh we have got all that coming up for you here coming up in a minute we'll get to that and that's going to be a lot of fun prior to that let me do this i think that one of the most overused words in sports especially in college football is perhaps relevant for Georgia here right now, here in this particular week, where we find ourselves in early November. That's the word elite. Elite is one of those things that's probably probably been used so much now that it sort of loses any kind of tangible, any kind of original meaning. It just sort of becomes a little bit of an empty phrase, kind of a part of sort of empty, meaningless rhetoric. But in reality, I think elite does have a specific definition that matters, especially in college football, the conversation we have around here. To me, elite speaks about scarcity. In other words, in a category that's rare, in a category that not many people can find themselves in, whether it be teams, elite teams don't have very much to compare themselves to. Elite players don't have very much to compare themselves to. And there's no doubt that elite is a word that has been able to be described, uh, you know, a a good description for Georgia here over the course of the last couple of seasons. And, you know, elite also has a little bit of a special meaning, I think, for Georgia, because you want to go back to the season which Georgia proved its elite status for the first time. That season began with Kirby Smart very openly issuing a challenge to his players to prove that they were elite. Remember the win against Clemson? And at the time, it was Clemson that was sort of thought to be the elite program. Georgia was the team aspiring to get to that level. And apparently that was a big part of the challenge that Kirby had issued to his players as a way of motivating them to go out and win that game to prove their elite status the way that Clemson had prior to that in winning two national championships. Let me give you a reminder. It's kind of fun sometimes just sort of go back down memory lane. Let me give you a reminder here of Kirby Smart after the win against Clemson to begin the 2021 season. The idea of was Georgia elite? This is a fun moment in Kirby history. Go back and hear this. Coach, for you, you built your career on defense. You know what good defense looks like. How do you describe what you saw out there tonight? Aggressive, getting after it. You're either elite or you're not. That's what we've been saying all camp. You're either elite or you're not. And tonight, we played a really good game defensively. And look, guys, Clemson's got an unbelievable team. But I'm so proud for our university to come in this atmosphere, in their backyard, where they play their ACC championship game, and come here and win this game. A lot of resiliency and a lot of composure. There are a few phrases that have sort of defined the Kirby Smart era. That one from the beginning of the 2021 season is kind of one of those. You're either elite or you're not. And now that we know the history that's taken place and transpired since then, it makes what Smart said then all the more interesting, is that Clemson's sort of fallen apart since that moment. They are no longer an elite-level program, perhaps still a good team in some future year, but no longer an elite-level program. And Georgia has won nothing but national championships since Smart made that statement, proving it's obviously the elite standard when it comes to a college football. And yet the... 
the cloud of that success sometimes hangs over Georgia in a year like this where the dogs are trying to as we say around here go for three and 23 and the question gets asked sometimes by Georgia fans sometimes by people outside of the Georgia program of you know well is Georgia still elite they were obviously were in 2021 they obviously were in 2022 are they still elite and, and to be honest with you I think, I think it's a fair question it's the kind of thing that those of us who love college football those of us who obsess over college football it's the kind of thing that we examine on a pretty regular basis and I've been trying to make my case this week that I actually do believe that if you define elite in sort of the scarcity category of there's not much to compare yourself to, you are so much better than most of the rest of your competition that most people can't create a profile similar to yours. By that definition, I do believe that Georgia's still in the elite category. Doesn't make you perfect, doesn't make you impervious to potential defeat, but it does make you better than almost anybody else you're comparing yourself to, almost anybody else that you are currently competing with. And you know, last night we saw the college football playoff top 25 come out again. Georgia was still number two. I, I've told you here over the course of the last couple of days that I believe if I was in that committee or if I was like the, the dictator of college football and whatever I say went, I believe that the correct case right now is for Georgia to still be the number one team in the CFP rankings, even though it doesn't really matter very much right now. Obviously, it matters much more at the end. If we're going to have a factual discussion, if we're going to have a somewhat objective level of analysis, I believe as objective as I'm capable of being, that I believe that Georgia deserves to be the number one team in those rankings. Let me start to sort of back this up with a number. And then after that, I want to kind of use this as a springboard to talk about Saturday's game against Ole Miss. So there's a guy, and I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with some of the sort of fancy stat analytics type stuff. The problem is I'm not always smart enough to understand a lot of the really intricate statistical type stuff. I just don't have that kind of brain. I've never had that kind of brain. That's not how my mind sort of functions. So anytime something's really easy to understand, to me, that's the kind of thing I want to sort of present to you on air because it's easy for me to talk about. I think it's easy for all of us to understand understand and it probably deepens our knowledge about the subject matter at hand here which is Georgia football and I just told you a moment ago that my belief is in 2023 Georgia is still elite in that there aren't very many teams that kind of put themselves in a similar category to Georgia and I want to try to give you sort of a simple stat that proves that there's a guy named Brian Fremo and Fremo has been kind of out there doing a lot of the calculator based analytics math nerd type stuff around college football for a long time and I don't mean that negatively Uh, he's clearly smarter than I am Uh, but he put out something the other day that I thought was kind of interesting that what he says is is one of the most telling stats about who can win a national championship it's based on what he calls net points per drive meaning you get the football your opponent has the football you know are you are, are you basically you know kind of two points better better per drive than your opponents are you know if, if you can sort of maintain that status if you're about two points better per drive over the course of a game over the course of a season than your opponent then you are in a position to be one of the teams that can win the national championship let me show you the first one of these from brian fremo this is going back to early october so in Oct- so in early october when fremo put this out on twitter 
which is what I still call that platform. Here's what he wrote. He says, each of the last five national champions finished the season with better than a 2.0 in net points per drive. That's the points you're scoring per drive subtracted by the, uh, the number of points per drive your opponents are getting against you. Now, through six weeks of the season, there were eight teams that were currently over that threshold of better than a plus two in net points per drive. At that time, Michigan was at 3.8. Oregon was at 3.4, Washington was at 2.9, Air Force was at 2.7, Oklahoma was at 2.4, uh, Georgia was also at 2.4, then you had USC and Penn State at that time at plus 2.1 in net points per drive. A pretty easy stat to, to sort of understand how many points you score every time you have it, how many points you give up every time you have it. You subtract those two numbers, that gives you a pretty interesting picture, the magic number being two or better. So this was in early October. Well, now we're in early November, and as you might imagine, that list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams is starting to winnow down a little bit. All of a sudden, there aren't nearly as many teams kind of achieving that sort of magic number of better than 2.0 when it comes to net points per drive. In fact, let me show you the second one of these from Brian Freema, who now says checking back in on this number a month later, there are only three teams that are over the plus 2.0 when it comes to net points per drive through week 10. You've got Michigan at 3.7, Oregon at 2.7, and Georgia at 2.3. So once again if we define elite based on scarcity georgia's in a pretty scarce category and what smart people will tell you is a very telling number in terms of who can win a national championship how much better you are from a scoring standpoint compared to your opponents on a per drive basis georgia is in just a very rare category that's why i'd have no problem ranking georgia number one which the college football playoff selection committee did not do last night but let me kind of pivot this towards the Ole Miss game here for a moment, which gives Georgia a chance, I believe, to once again prove its elite status and how it plays out there on Saturday. The truth is, while Georgia has been better than that sort of magic number of plus two on its net you know, you know, possessions thus far this year, obviously against Missouri this past Saturday, that wasn't really the case. It was only about a plus one in that particular spot against Missouri this past Saturday. Now, the thing to take from that is, oh, well, can Georgia still be this much better on a scoring per drive basis now that the competition that it's playing is starting to improve? The best teams Georgia's going to play in the regular season, they are currently playing here right now. And perhaps that's a fair question because it's hard not to notice that the three teams in America right now doing the best on a scoring per drive basis, Oregon, Michigan, Georgia, and the graphic that I just showed you for those of you watching on video are all three teams who've sort of been knocked for their schedules to a certain extent, Oregon based on who it's beaten, Michigan based on who it's played, Georgia kind of for a combination of those two things. It's sort of thought of the sort of better elite style teams in the country, Oregon, Michigan, Georgia, have played the softest schedules here thus far. So it's sort of fair to wonder, can Georgia keep this high statistical profile now that it's playing better teams? The Missouri game would at least seem to add credence to that discussion moving forward. So that's where I think the Ole Miss game on Saturday gets to be very interesting. Can Georgia go out there and not just win the game, but if it wants to prove that it's elite, can it do so with at least a little bit of comfort? Now, as we've talked about a lot this week, 
That doesn't mean 50 to nothing, right? It doesn't mean 40 to nothing. Kirby Smart told us that pretty clearly after Saturday's game. Games are going to be hard fought, and games are going to be close. There are going to be snaps taken in almost every game where the opponent feels like it's got a chance to win. Even if Georgia goes on to win, there's going to be obviously competition and intense competition coming from the other side. But if you want to see how elite Georgia still is, if you want to demonstrate on Georgia's behalf how elite it is to the rest of the country, this is kind of an interesting stat. Look at the total number of possessions for Georgia. How many points do they score based on those possessions? Look at the total number of possessions they sort of allow to their opponent and how many points they score. But I'll give you sort of an interesting idea of just how elite Georgia is going to Saturday. Now, one more thing about this, speaking of being elite, it is not just the team that is being challenged to be elite on Saturday. I feel totally validated that we spent some time on Monday kind of suggesting as politely, gently as we could, friends being honest with each other, that the atmosphere in Sanford Stadium on Saturday was perhaps not as intense as we've come to expect it to be in the biggest games that Georgia plays, and that it needs to be a lot better on Saturday against Ole Miss, what is the home finale for Georgia this year, the final home game for a great collection of Georgia players who deserve to go out with a really, really special moment. I feel totally validated in saying what I've said because it has been such a hot topic with Kirby Smart during his press conference this week. We played some of that for you yesterday, and then last night, Smart met with the media again, and once again, the idea of being good fans in the final home game of this year, very important to propel Georgia to victory and allowing Georgia to go out there and prove that it's still among the elite teams in college football. Kirby Smart said again last night, fans have a role to play in order to get that done. This is Kirby from last night. Yeah, they, they can have a huge impact, and we need them to. Um, I'm counting on them um, to have a huge impact. I mean, look, Ole Miss has played in some tough stadiums, not only this year, but last year. They, they, they've gone across the SEC West and seen all the, the tough places to play, and uh, you know the, it's not going to be foreign to them to play in a tough environment. But we certainly need to create it um, for them, and uh, we need to, you know, we need to, we need to create problems for them on defense and, and make it hard uh, for them to play against us. Along with the the, the crowd, the, the crowd needs to have an impact and uh, and pull in the same direction uh, for our players. So let me sum all of this up here really quickly. The word of the day is elite. Georgia has been it the last two years. I believe that Georgia can still be it in 2023. Thus far this season, I believe it has been. Nobody in America is better combined on both sides of the ball than Georgia has been thus far this season. We've been giving you stats to back that up all week long, including today. But demonstrating that's still true when Georgia steps up its level of competition as it did last week, as it will Saturday against Ole Miss, as it will the following Saturday at Tennessee, maintaining that same standard, that same level of excellence against better teams, it's fair to ask Georgia to do that. And that's what part of Saturday is going to be, that not only is Georgia the kind of team that can, for the most part, beat up on lesser foes, but it's also the kind of team that can make another top 10 team like the Rebels look like a lesser foe there as well. That's what elite requires from Georgia on Saturday to continue to do what it has been doing for the most part this season against a team that's a little bit better than most of the teams that Georgia's been playing. But it's not just the team. It's the fans there as well to make everything across the board truly elite, scarce, very little to compare it to Georgia fans need to be that way themselves there on Saturday they've been called out now several times by Kirby Smart 
This is a fan base that has a habit of when Kirby issues the challenge, they answer the call. My guess is Georgia fans, Georgia players, the entire Georgia program will be ready to do that on Saturday night. And being between the hedges for the final home game of this season is going to prove to be a pretty special place to be. Hope it does, by the way, because we're also expecting a lot of Ole Miss fans uh, there in the stadium. It's the only team this year that bought its entire allotment of uh, tickets to be there. So you'll see a lot of that what powder blue and red from Ole Miss there on Saturday there as well. So uh, Georgia fans going to be ready to respond to all of that. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Presented today by Breda Pass Management. Happy to have you with us. We start 945, first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. And if you usually connect on another platform if you want to be there a part of that for a little extra content we'd love to have you there at dognation.com then you can do like many of you do sort of migrate to your other platform some folks will sort of pop on there spend a couple minutes with us live and they'll like to save the show to watch on demand later on hey however it works for you we're just glad it does and we're glad you're a part of the show across all video platforms live at 10 or on demand after the fact radio athens sports radio 96 the ref podcast however you find them just really really glad to have you part of the show and all that we're able to do we would not be able to do if not for great sponsors and i tell you one of the sponsors that i love and i'm so proud of their support of us that's our friends at breda pest management just great folks the official pest control provider of uga athletics so you probably can't keep all those rebels out of the stadium on saturday some of them are going to be coming but you can keep sanford stadium bug and critter free termite free uh, that's what our friends at uh, breda pest management are all about and the same level of service they provide to uga athletics they can provide for you there as well you can make them your official pest control provider there too and the good news is when you switch to breda pest management for your termite protection or something like that what you're going to have the chance to do is put more money back in your pocket right away just for making that decision that's what they're able to do the, the, the level of resources they've collected by being in business since 1975 by having 125 employees stretched across our entire market area doing great work for people as long as they have that's given breda pest management the brand equity the heritage of success that now they can use that to leverage for their customer's benefit or their new customer's benefit, which you may be about ready to be. So make the switch to Breda Pest Management today by finding them online at BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. Once again, B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com for a lot more on that. All right, we got Mike Griffith coming up here in a moment. Also, before we're done on today's show, this is kind of a convoluted tease, but let me see if I can explain this. There is something that some Georgia fans have been kind of saying here this week about a potential Georgia foe that I would always like to sort of join in on, but I don't know that I can fully join in on this as much as some Georgia fans are. We'll talk about what that is and how that relates to this current Georgia team coming up here in a few minutes before our show is done today because it's relevant for what Georgia needs to do on Saturday. I'll explain more of that in a moment, and I promise it'll make sense when we get there. Prior to that, let us go around the doghouse board today by Dr. Pepper. And y'all, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this yet or not, but I kind of teased this the other day. I'm going to give you a bigger tease here right now. I believe we have something very big going down with dr pepper that i think you'll all love i know i'm very excited about it and i think everyone will be excited about this kind of a cool thing here on our show that we've never gotten a chance to do before um i don't believe i'm supposed to tell you this yet but i hopefully i can announce this for you tomorrow gonna be a really really big deal we'll give you more of that here coming up we can for now though 
we'll go around the doghouse poured by dr pepper here today and there are some fun rumors out there a lot of online chatter if you will about brock bowers getting back to health participating some in practice just sort of looking good i'll give you more on that here in a moment uh how about straight from the horse's mouth here in terms of kirby smart what have you seen from bowers how ready is he to be out there how quickly is he recovering kirby smart gave us a little bit more of a specific timeline on some of this than we've kind of gotten in the past so if you're a georgia fan hoping to see more of brock bowers certainly the words of smart last night kind of give aid to that optimism here's kirby smart on brock bowers he's working hard he's doing all he can in terms of trying to get himself in, in, in shape and get better i mean he's back running now on, on dry land and um we're, we're hoping that he keeps getting better. I mean, that's that's kind of the mo on this injury is, you know, every kid we've had so far has had it. Week one they do this, week two they do this, week three they do that, week four. I mean, he's he's right on schedule for the things he's been doing. I mean, I think you have to take that as really good news for Kirby, even if there's the sort of attempt to kind of undersell it there a little bit. It certainly appears, based on the chatter that's out there, of what you know, somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody says happened at practice, or what the online chatter is right now, that Bowers is on his way back to health and is at least. I mean, I think you might be able to say possibly wearing a uniform on Saturday, and what is going to probably end up being. Uh, the final game he ever plays there at Sanford Stadium almost certainly on his way to the NFL draft after this year's concluded and I think that would be a very happy thing I mean for me selfishly I think the moment that you really want to have Brock Bowers at his best is when Georgia plays something that feels like an elimination game and what we're going to find out on Saturday is is will Georgia face an elimination game prior to the SEC championship? We're going to talk more about this in a moment, but I do believe that the SEC championship is probably an elimination game for the team that loses it in a way the last couple of SEC championship games perhaps might not have been. Uh, this year just sort of feels a little bit different on that. So the SEC championship, I believe, for Georgia in its hopes of go for three and 23 could be an elimination game. Now, if something were to happen for Georgia against Ole Miss and if Tennessee were to beat Missouri, the next Saturday could become an elimination game for Georgia in its attempt to even make the SEC championship. So at some point in time, Georgia is going to play a game to make its season matter. It's going to play a game to extend its season. At that point in time, I think you definitely want Brock Bowers to be at his best if he's capable of doing so. I don't know that Saturday is necessarily that day for Georgia. Obviously, if you're a UGA fan, you want to win it. But it's a little bit of a different type of thing than what Georgia might face later on the season. You'd also like to think as a double-digit favorite, you could beat Ole Miss even without Brock Bowers. You'd certainly like for that to be true. But if Bowers could take that next step of being in uniform, being ready if needed, or just demonstrating himself to be on his way back to full health, that would obviously give you a strong signal that when Georgia really needs to call on him, whenever that might be, that Bowers is truly healthy and able to do that and obviously kind of overcoming the pain of all of this the high ankle sprain the recovery from surgery and everything that's related to that that's clearly a part of this and Kirby kind of talked last night about you know a surgery that hasn't really been with us for very long but even at Georgia a lot of guys have had it which sort of adds to our overall knowledge of this and in this particular case the kind of pain associated with the recovery Smart talked some about that yesterday too. As some guys say it hurts worse than others I mean lucky shared his experiences with Brock and uh, Jaws had two of them, Cash had one, um, Mims has obviously had one, so uh, from what I hear it's, uh, you know, it's, it's more painful in the beginning and 
it's like a roller coaster ride. It has its ups and downs and moments, and you know you, you continue to push through it, and you get better as you go. Let me give you sort of two final thoughts on this. One of these somewhat intangible. One of these quite tangible. Here's the sort of intangible thing. When Bowers was traveling with Georgia, going to Jacksonville, for instance, well before he was able to play, that's obviously a pretty strong sign there that Brock still considered himself to be a part of this team and had the desire to come back. Listen, he'd already won two national championships. He's got a very bright NFL future to think of. There are some players in Bowers' situation who might would have said, oh, you know what, a little complication, a little setback. Maybe it's sort of best to sort of let this just sort of play itself out and, uh, you know, we're going to have a prolonged recovery here and not play again. There are some players in the same situation who might would have made that decision. Brock Bowers, it would appear, clearly is not interested in doing that. The fact that he traveled with Georgia while he was injured would give you a, a suggestion that's true. That's the sort of intangible part of this. Tangibly, what I can tell you is, you know, I do the dog walk videos before every game on Saturday. Uh, I did the one from this past Saturday as well. If you'll go to the Dog Nation YouTube page, you can see this for yourself. Bowers walking to the stadium that day, we made a big deal about it. We kind of made that the focal point of our dog walk video from Saturday on the Dog Nation YouTube page. It's there. Bowers looked great as he was walking, which is sort of a funny thing to say. But, I mean, he had, to use a word we used earlier, he had an elite-level walk on Saturday. You know, had the tennis shoes on with the suit, did not appear to be you know, hampered by some you know, big-time brace or anything like that. He looked like he was walking like a very healthy athlete would walk, which we took on Saturday as a great sign of his eventual return there as well. So at some point in time this season, George is going to play a game for all the stakes with go for three in 23 on the line the good news is we're getting a lot of indications that brock bowers is going to be a healthy participant when georgia does that y'all you can't get better news than that here on a wednesday that is a fun thing to consider and that is around the doghouse poured today by our friends at dr pepper told you we got a fun thing potentially coming up with dr pepper here uh in the next couple of days and i can't wait to reveal more of that to you but for now let me just reveal that dr pepper truly is the one that fans deserve i'm talking about the rich one-of-a-kind flavor of dr pepper y'all know how much i love it you know how much i'm ready for one right when this show comes to a close it's just sort of my nice little treat in the middle of the day you kind of need that sort of pick me up to sort of you know feel good and for me that's the diet dr pepper i know some of you like the dr pepper strawberries and cream in fact more on that before our show is done today uh, as it relates to a golden shoe or the original dr pepper which, which trust me i still love uh absolutely whichever uh, option's the best for you just make sure you enjoy some here as you roll through college football season because college football and dr pepper just sort of go together the fans feel commercials and everything else so enjoy some here this weekend for the home finale and enjoy some anytime you're getting together with friends around college football because dr pepper truly is the one fans deserve all right before we're done interesting scenarios as it relates to college football playoff top 25 which came out last night also a little bit of a georgia fan conversation this week that i don't know that i can be a true full participant in i'll explain uh why here coming up in a little bit and how that relates to saturday's game against Ole miss all of that is on the way but for now more on bowers more on the game against the rebels on saturday and georgia being number two last night in the cfp top 25 let's cover all of that as we do a georgia farm bureau insider update and welcome in mike griffith here today to dog nation daily from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider certainly appreciate mike griffith being here as a part of a uh, georgia farm bureau insider update 
here today on uh, Dog Nation Daily. And obviously, a lot of the chatter, Mike, this morning relating to some of the stuff that Kirby Smart said yesterday about Brock Bowers, the online chatter that's out there, there as well, the you know, sort of whispers and rumors and innuendo that kind of comes out of what seems like an eventual return for Bowers. What can you tell us on the uh, latest on this? How close to health do you think Brock Bowers is right now? I mean, probably 80%, but that final 20 is so important. That lateral movement is so important. Um, So, I mean, I think it's a deal where he's got to be 100. I just don't think this is a guy that can go out there with risk of further injury, not protected from further injury. Yeah, I I think I kind of agree with you on that from the standpoint of, I mean, even if it's not like the risk of further injury part, because I don't know if I'm medically smart enough to to say that one way or another, but the idea of Georgia's sort of proven itself to be the kind of program that it wants 100% healthy players, or at least as close as you can get to that. You know, Georgia just does not really have a history of being desperate and rushing players back, you know, a week early. In fact, when people talk about the kind of various timelines on this tightrope surgery, there's a part of me that wishes I could go back and catalog all those and see, okay, for a lot of the guys who've come back super quick, how much of that was related to a team that just was very desperate to sort of push that guy back out there? And does that explain some of the superhuman returns here on this? Georgia just has a little bit of a history, rightly so, I believe, of being somewhat conservative with stuff like this. So I can tell you, Mike, as a Georgia fan, my hope is that Bowers is in uniform on Saturday because I believe it's his final home game. If he could step out there on the field in some sort of ceremonial fashion, I think that'd be kind of cool. But the idea of Bowers being Brock Bowers, you know, my hope is is that Georgia doesn't really have to call on that until it plays a true elimination game, which I hope doesn't come until the first Saturday in December. That's sort of my hope here is if he's healthy enough to be in uniform, all the much better to kind of enjoy what is his final time between the hedges, I believe. But in terms of the best of Brock Bowers, I have no problem waiting till December to see that. I think the good stuff from this week from a Georgia fan standpoint is, is all this positive chatter suggests that Bowers really can be a participant in whatever comes next for Georgia when it gets into these elimination games December and beyond. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, uh, I'm a little surprised by that. Um, you know, maybe I shouldn't be. I know, you know, Brock is proven superhuman in many respects. You never know how people are going to heal. Everybody's different. The extent of every injury is different. The healing process, time. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just the thought of Brock Bauer's plan, I think, has everybody excited as far as the, the reality of it. Uh, you know, this weekend would seem far-fetched to me. Um, but, you know, the Tennessee game, the SEC championship game, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I read where Tua was out 27 days and Brock's been out 26. Different players, different positions. Um, I guess you just never know. Yeah, we'll certainly follow that and uh, see how it uh, progresses here. Uh, Georgia last night ranked number two in the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. You know, this doesn't matter very much, but I still enjoy debating and discussing. It's just kind of one of the things that I think that college football fans, you know, like to do. I've kind of made my case that I do believe that Georgia probably deserves to be number one. You sort of understand the argument in favor of Ohio State right now. From a resume standpoint, they probably have the better tandem of wins, certainly, but as the Notre Dame, you know, uh, win for Ohio State is diminished by another Irish loss, now you're sort of forced to uh, examine the eye test for the uh, Buckeyes a little bit, and it's obviously somewhat lacking given, given their struggles in offense. Uh, what do you make of Georgia coming in at number two again last night in the CFP Top 25? Well, I mean, I've got a different take on it, you know, and, and I, I have to, you know, in, in doing my take, I have to pretend like 2021 20, and 22 didn't happen. 
because you've got to evaluate on just this season, right? Just this season, Georgia's trailed in six, five out of their six SEC games. Just this season, Georgia's only beaten four FBS teams with winning records. Ohio State's beaten seven. Georgia's not played well on the road. Uh, you know, they they were they didn't play good at Auburn. They didn't, but not early. They played great late. And Auburn's not a great team. They didn't play great at Vanderbilt, particularly. They were almost down ten to zero. So, as far as the eye test, you know, I think we see the eye test differently than maybe people who don't follow Georgia closely, because we've seen Georgia make adjustments and find ways to win again and again and again. But if you look at just this year, uh, you know, this team has not been as dominant. They just they haven't. I mean, Missouri was driving, you know, down three three or six, and, you know, Brady Cook throws it to the wrong guy. I mean, that, that was a scary game. Uh, you know, I mean, Georgia made a play. The bottom line is Georgia keeps finding ways to make plays, and you reward them. And I think they have been rewarded, you know, because Washington has played a better schedule. Washington beat a better team than Georgia. You know, they beat a really good Oregon team. Georgia hadn't played anybody that good. Okay, Missouri would get beat by three touchdowns by Oregon on a neutral field. Um, that's their best win is Missouri. Missouri at home is Georgia's best win. Um, you know, Ohio State beat Penn State. They went on the road and beat a, a decent Wisconsin, not a great Wisconsin. They went on the road and beat Notre Dame. You mentioned Notre Dame's got a couple losses. So I, I feel like Ohio State deserves number one. I don't necessarily think Ohio State's the best team, but best based on their resume. Michigan's beaten everybody by three touchdowns or more, and Georgia's ahead of them. And Florida State's undefeated, and Georgia's ahead of them too, even though both of those schools have better um, schedule strength. So I think Georgia's just fine at number two. I think we know it takes care of itself if they keep winning. I don't have a problem with them not being number one. It almost seems appropriate because Kirby Smart's the the chip-on-the-shoulder coach. Yeah, so my argument in favor of Georgia has been simply this, that when you look at excellence on both sides of the ball, measured as simply as we understand it, the points you score, the points you allow, what you do on kind of a per-play basis when it comes to uh, your yards. You know, Georgia's one of only three teams in America in top ten scoring uh, and top ten points allowed, and the only team in America that's in the top ten in yards per play offensively and the yards per play allowed defensively that as measured by the sort of complementary football that Georgia's played the last couple of years, excellent on both sides, Georgia, once again, is sort of really the only team in the country that's kind of in that same category again this year to the extent that it is. So while, you know, maybe dominance doesn't look quite as dominating as we sometimes expected it to, in terms of defining it on what you do on both sides of the ball, you know, once again this year, we're not really seeing any team in America that's that's more dominant on both sides of the ball combined than Georgia has been. That's no guarantee of how the season obviously concludes I mean it's still a national champion that's very much up for grabs but the overall profile for Georgia this year doesn't look as wildly different than previous years as perhaps some people sort of think that it does no but playing Ball State and UAB and UT Martin looks a lot worse than playing the Clemsons and the Oregons and the potential Oklahomas and the schedule strength is a factor you know the committee did give Georgia the benefit of the doubt over Florida State and over Washington programs that have stronger schedules and better wins and I thought that that was fair. But, you know, when you've only beaten four FBS teams with winning records, I mean, Georgia, you are what the scoreboard says, Brandon. Georgia's nine points better than Missouri in a home game. That's what they are. They're nine points better than Missouri. Is the team that's nine points better than Missouri in a home game number one? I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But in terms of the beauty contest, I have a harder time making a case for the Georgia team. And the other thing I think you've got to take into account that the playoff committee does take into account 
is as of right now, it's still a Georgia team without their best offensive player and maybe their best defensive player. You know, Jamon Dumas Johnson is out. Ohio State got a little bit of a lift because Travion Henderson, their running back returned, their star returned. Georgia's a team right now that's missing two really key players. So the fact that they're number two, I think, is a really fair dealing when you look at Georgia's record. The fact that their schedule strength is still kind of light. They've only beaten one top 25 team. It's hard to make a case for Kentucky. It's hard to make a case for Florida being quality. Um, and that's not Georgia's fault. They can only do and they only play against who they play against. I think the coaching has been great. I think Georgia's coaching staff is the best in the country. I think they have gotten better every week. But I have not, I don't think Georgia's got the better running back in Saturday night's game. And I don't think they had the better running back last Saturday. Um, I think Ladd McConkey is phenomenal, but after him, I don't see an explosive outside target. Lovett has not been the boost that I thought he would be. Uh, Ra Ra Thomas is a drop off from the Donnie, uh, Donnie Mitchell. Your left tackle play, you don't have Broderick Jones over there. Ernest Green's coming along, but you're not as good on your offensive line this year. So now, all that said, all that said, it doesn't matter. As long as Georgia beats Old Miss and takes care of business in Knoxville and beats Georgia, they're going to win again. There's more parity in college football, and as long as Kirby and the dogs keep finding ways to win, who cares? But if, you, if you're going to be fair about it and you're going to look at the metrics, you've got to bring schedule strength into account, and you've got to give Ohio State credit for having better quality wins than Georgia. Now, all that said, Brandon, I think Michigan's actually better than Ohio State, yeah. but their schedule is junk. And so they're sitting at number three. Their, their schedule actually fell behind Georgia's this last week. So I think we're going to find out. I don't think we're going to have this discussion much more after this week. I think if Georgia beats a top ten old Miss team, then they should be number one and everybody can shut up. And if Michigan, you know, loses to Penn State, we're going to find out about them. We're going to find out about Georgia. But right now, uh, you know, I, I think based on the resume – I'm fine with Georgia being two. I think, like I said, if they would have been three or four, I probably would have squawked a little bit. But they gave Georgia credit for the eyeball test and put them ahead of a Florida State and a Washington that are undefeated, that have better wins and better schedule strength. And they put Georgia ahead of them, even without arguably their best offensive and best defensive players. So, you know, we, we, we talk a lot more about it than it's probably worth. I mean, they'll be number one in the polls. That, that, to me, the polls are very important. In fact, if Georgia wins, Brandon, They'll have the second longest streak at yeah, number one that's right. in history. Only USC will be ahead. I don't know if that Pete Carroll number is 32 or 33, but they'll break that great Miami team streak of yep. 21 if they can win this, and they'll be number one in the polls. Uh, but but for the compute for the committee, uh, the college football playoff committee. Listen, after some of the rankings I've seen in past years with Georgia that were a flat out joke. Last year was a flat out joke. Georgia should have been number one from the onset last year. That was a joke. 2018, when they got left out, was a joke. I'm going to give this committee credit for giving Georgia their fair due and, and keeping them ahead of Florida State and Washington, even with their schedule strength. It's our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And, of course, a lot of folks here on the uh, home state here hoping for a big game from Georgia on Saturday. And that's a reminder to us, as the home team gets ready to go back out there one more time uh, between the hedges, Georgia Farm Bureau is also your home team there as well when it comes to your insurance deals. I'm talking about auto insurance and life insurance and home insurance. They understand the things that matter to you, that every day you're driving to work and that vehicle that you use to get there, that's kind of what your livelihood depends on. Therefore, proper coverage and really effective and, uh, you know, uh, uh, just quality coverage 
of insurance on that vehicle is really important to you. The same thing for your home. It's the place where, as I say all the time, you're making your memories, but it's also perhaps your your number one financial investment there as well. Good quality home insurance coverage. All that kind of stuff really matters. And so the friendly folks from Georgia Farm Bureau who are living in communities all across the state, just like you are, they understand why all of that's true. And that's why I invite you to check them out today and look at the entire line of insurance options they offer for you. Find them online at gfbinsurance.com. Once again, Georgia Farm Bureau, GFB, gfbinsurance.com for a lot more on that today. As Georgia Farm Bureau brings the insider update to us here on Dog Nation Daily with Mike Griffith. Let's, uh, in our final moments here, Mike, turn our attention to Ole Miss there on Saturday. I think this is a fascinating game for UGA. It's obviously an example of a little bit of like what Michigan's facing right now, too sort of a backloaded schedule for Georgia here. Uh, Missouri last week, Ole Miss, you know, here right now. And, you know, I, I guess I'm curious, you know, what is your angle on this game right now? What do you think Georgia Ole Miss kind of comes down to on Saturday? Turnovers. Turnovers and momentum. You know, I think this is going to be a, a shootout. I think that Ole Miss has a lot of firepower. They have a dual-threat quarterback in Jackson Dart, and, and we know that dual-threat quarterbacks can – can really hurt Kirby Smart. Um, gosh, I'm reading all the comments, Brandon. You asked me these questions, and I just try to tell the truth and give my opinions, and people are like, oh, Mike hates Georgia because he says that Ohio State has a better resume. That's just not it. I just, I'm just trying to be honest and, and not just try to be a fan. I'm just trying to tell the truth here. Um, as for Saturday night, I do think it's going to be a, a shootout. I do think that Lane Kiffin has a really good offense that can score points. Um, the last three games, Georgia's given up opening drive touchdowns. For some reason, I think that 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 streak will snap. I, I'm not sure Ole Miss might get a field goal or something, but um, it has not been a characteristic. I mean, the 2023 team has not been as dominant as 2021 and 2022. They just haven't. I mean, like I said, they've trailed in uh, five out of six games. I, I'm trying to think how many SEC games they trailed in in 21 and 22 combined. Uh, you know, Carson Beck has responded to the challenges. Uh, Lad McConkey's starred of late. Uh, I think it's a really good football game. They're playing a top ten team at home. I expect this crowd to be much louder than last week's. I heard a lot of people say that last week's wasn't as loud because it was the homecoming crowd. But this is Saturday night under the lights. Um, I expect an impactful crowd. Uh, I expect Georgia to win. So I hope that makes everybody happy. That's how I really feel. I, I'm sorry I can't just cater and say you know Georgia should be number one every day, every week every month, every hour, but you ask me some really tough questions sometimes, and I have to give really tough answers, and at the end of the day, I I think Ohio State had a better resume, and that's why I think they should be number one right now, but again, if Georgia beats Ole Miss, uh, I think that they'll have earned that number one spot um, by the committees, the committees, the way they vote, which they have a whole different criteria than me. I have Georgia number one in my poll that I vote in, but I recognize the college football committee goes at it a little differently, and just trying to bring that knowledge and information to your show. All right, Mike, thanks for being here for our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. We will uh, see you in Athens on Saturday. Of course, back here on the program again very soon there as well. Thanks, B. I appreciate it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, we'll talk more about the CFP Top 25 here coming up in a moment because I think beyond the Georgia thing here, and like the Georgia stuff is all just for sport. We said that before. This is just sort of like argument for the sake of arguing about it, and that's what sports fans sometimes like to do. But I do believe there probably are at least a couple of things as it relates to the top twenty-five 
that are probably worth examining here a little bit. We're going to get in and do some of that here coming up in a moment. Prior to that, though, let's go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. A lot of you know I'm very excited because like the next couple of months could work out for me in a very, very positive way. Like you got final home game on Saturday against Ole Miss. I'd love nothing more to see Georgia really flex, get the really loud crowd we've been calling for. Just have a great day in Athens on Saturday. Then after that, it's like dog nation invasion of the Tennessee River. You're getting ready for clean old-fashioned hate, SEC championship. You hope a return to the college football playoff. I go for three and 23. And then by the time the confetti falls again, if it does, I hope it does, it'll be about time for me to be on board Icon of the Seas in the debut of the largest cruise ship ever constructed that's what the next couple of months for me could look, uh, look out uh kind of work out to be hopefully it all falls into place i'm certainly excited about that and my message to you is is that you have a chance to do the same thing i'm doing to be on board icon of the seas the brand new cruise ship getting ready to debut from royal caribbean unlike any cruise ship that has ever sailed before ever that is what it's all about and you have a chance to be uh, a part of that here right now. Our friend Jessica Slater, great travel agent, can help you out with that. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. She is a travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to help you with all your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs. You can also email her if you want to, Slater at dreamvacations.com. Once again, that's Slater at dreamvacations.com. And the cool thing is, too, by the time I'm back from Icon of the Seas, It'll be about time to start thinking about the Dog Nation cruise in April of 2024 there as well. And she can help you out with that too, Jessica can. Find more about that online at royaldogs.com. You can get everything you need there on that. All right. We'll get back to Georgia fully here in a moment, but let's go through the top 25 stuff as we're cruising around the SEC. So I was a little bit disappointed last night. We popped on video live last night to talk about this. I like to do that kind of thing. It's just fun for me to do for whatever reason. I have a little bit of nostalgia because... This is the 10th year of the college ball playoff. I remember back in 2014 when this stuff first started, and it seemed like it was a very big deal, these week-to-week rankings. We weren't quite sure how this was going to play out. Eventually, we sort of figured out, oh, this is a bunch of nonsense. But but for a while, it was like, oh, this is huge. They're changing the ratings. They got these you know crazy polls that, that don't quite reflect the AP and the coaches poll necessarily. So I still have a lot of love for the CFP Top 25, even though it's mostly meaningless. I was a little disappointed last night. We didn't have more movement in the rankings. You know, I could have certainly seen a case to be made for Washington going in at number four ahead of Florida State. Florida State's been at number four the last two weeks. I believe that Washington probably has the better resume. Washington has one of the best wins in the country thus far this year, beating Oregon, who comes in at, what, number six. Um, I thought that, coupled with a road win at USC, might be enough to move Washington to number four. Committee did not do that. And because of the lack of losses for most of those teams sort of rated up top, there just wasn't much um, there wasn't much room for movement there. For instance, Alabama got probably the most high profile win of this previous week, knocking off LSU. But you look above Alabama, you know, it's Texas at seven. It's the top six teams all remaining unbeaten. That kind of landlocks the Crimson Tide and sort of keeps everybody in place there right now. Which, if you're looking for the one like really tangible takeaway from these rankings everybody always says ah oh, these rankings don't matter it's not until the end that any of this matters for the most part that's all true but if you want to kind of know the one thing that i do think as a snapshot you ought to appreciate about where we are with the top 25 rankings here right now it's this this is as late into the season 
as we have been in quite some time with all five power five conferences very much alive for playoff berths and ironically it's sort of the last year of the power five as we've known it but we have pac 12 very much alive Washington's win last Saturday against USC was a pretty big deal because it it preserves the chance for Washington and Oregon to rematch in Las Vegas with the winner basically assured of a playoff berth. In other words, if you've got a Washington loss at some point or an Oregon loss at some point, which you can still have, that sort of sets up a scenario where if the wrong team wins, Pac-12 is probably eliminated from the playoff. But as long as both your top teams continue to win, you're setting up a big high-stakes showdown where the winner is almost guaranteed a spot. Texas finding a way to hold on and beat Kansas State into overtime there was a missed field goal by Kansas State I think it hit the the upright but Texas continuing to play without Quinn Ewers the starting quarterback the longer they keep winning the more that keeps the Big 12 and kind of the final year of the Big 12 as we've somewhat known it that keeps that league alive for the playoff obviously Florida State's very much alive in the playoff race they are undefeated ranked number four right now they've got a potential title game showdown with louisville coming up but florida state's very much alive for the playoffs so if you want to know what matters right now it's the very legitimate presence of acc big 12 pac 12 in a way that all three of those leagues have not had at the same time this late into a season before so this is not a good year to be the sec runner-up or the big 10 runner-up last year big 10 runner-up made the college football playoff 2021 the sec runner-up made the college football playoff 2017 sec runner-up made the college football playoff this is not a year to be the runner-up in one of the top two leagues big 10 or sec that matters i believe unless things happen over the course of the next couple of weeks to change that which obviously they could but as it stands right now forecasting december i believe the sec championship will be an elimination game for both georgia and alabama and that, I believe, is sort of what uh, matters uh, here right now. Moving on, uh, Tennessee jumps up big. Uh, I mean, all they did was beat UConn on Saturday, and they like f- flew up the rankings. What are they, uh, 15th now? Uh, you got a battle between 14th and 15th on Saturday between Missouri and Tennessee. So it's also interesting to note that I think that Missouri's been the far better of these teams thus far this year, and yet um, – you know, you know, Missouri still kind of what a slight you know, uh, underdog or, uh, to to Tennessee there on Saturday. Pretty, you know, essentially kind of you know sports book kind of viewing Vols and Missouri as somewhat equal teams playing this particular game. So it's clearly a game that Tennessee could win, and if it does win, that puts pressure on Georgia to beat Ole Miss on Saturday to fully secure the SEC East to own the East in the final year of that division, uh, and it also sets up what could be, you know. If you're talking about a Tennessee win against Missouri, coupled with the fact that, you know, Penn State could lose, Ole Miss could lose, then you've got a top 10 battle between Georgia and Tennessee for a second straight year. You know, you want to go back a couple of uh, years ago when the SEC was moving the day to the Georgia Auburn game and a lot of things like that. I believe what the SEC really wanted to do was kind of replicate the late season drama that the SEC West has, where Alabama and LSU always play in November. The Iron Bowls decided the SEC West a number of times. I think the SEC wanted to try to find some way to do that with the SEC East, which is admittedly harder, partially because this division has had weaker teams in recent years, but also because Kentucky, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, Florida, all have in-state rivals that are not in the league. 
And so they had to work extra hard to kind of create some of that late season drama. Moving Georgia, Tennessee to the end of the year was kind of a way of trying to create that. And if it is top 10 battle again next week, I think you'd have to say that's sort of worked out. Now, I don't expect them to beat uh, Missouri on Saturday. And even if they do, I don't expect next week to be for the SEC East because I do believe that Georgia will beat Ole Miss. But it could happen. I mean, it's worth watching here. Uh, Tennessee getting a lot of respect from the CFP top 25 last night. Then let me give you this. And I think last night on video, I incorrectly attributed this to Greg McElroy, but I believe it was Kirk Herbstreit who said this. And this is partially because I think you had to have some sort of drama last night. So this may be manufactured. This may be contrived, admittedly so. But it's still a point worth pondering for a moment. Herb Street said on TV last night, what if Alabama doesn't control its own destiny? What if Alabama sitting at eight, beating LSU and not moving up? What if that's a signal to Alabama that they don't control their own fate to make the college football playoff? Now, my knee-jerk reaction is, oh, come on, Kirk, that's not true. You're exaggerating this claim as a way of creating some drama where not a whole lot of drama exists. And for the most part, I'm pretty sure that's what this is. But at least consider this for a moment. And now it's an unpleasant consideration because it means that Georgia would lose the SEC championship. But at least consider this for a moment. I told you before, the other leagues are very much alive right now for a playoff spot. The Big Ten champion is making the college football playoff. There is still a possibility that both the Pac-12 and the ACC have undefeated champions. Now, here's one thing the committee has never done. In the Power Five ranks, they've never excluded an unbeaten Power Five team to the benefit of a once-beaten Power Five team. They've never done that. For the most part, the committee sort of views teams in comparisons in categories along the loss line. The no-loss teams get a higher category than the one-loss teams. And if there's no unbeaten teams, then you move down to the one-loss teams. And if there weren't enough one-loss teams, you'd have to move down to the two-loss teams. That's why there's never been a two-loss team make the playoff, even though pretty clearly there have been moments in which a two-loss team has probably been among the four best teams in the country, including perhaps Georgia in 2018. They just don't give benefit to teams that lose more games than the teams they're being compared to no matter what the schedule is they say they value schedule strength but what they really value is a little small number either a zero or a one when it comes to the loss column so if alabama were to beat georgia win the sec and make the playoff it might require taking a once beaten alabama team over an unbeaten possible florida state or possible washington something the committee's never done because the other team that you could have here and this is the point i think the herb street was making last night probably exaggerated for the benefit of tv but nonetheless perhaps worth comparing and considering you would have texas as a 12 and 1 big 12 champion who would have won at alabama so what if and this is a what if scenario which is hypothetical but what if the big 10 champion is undefeated michigan the pac-12 champion is undefeated washington the acc champion is undefeated florida state the big 12 champion is under is, is once beaten texas and the sec champion is once beaten alabama could the sec be left out of the college football playoff in that scenario most georgia fans would say i don't care because if georgia's not go to the playoff then i don't i don't want alabama to go either it's one of those things that Herb Street brought up last night that sort of feels contrived, 
but maybe a little bit more worth considering than you perhaps uh, think it should be. I'll also give you this finally. Looks like Michigan's sort of fighting back here a little bit on some of the allegations about the sign sealing and stuff like that. Uh, Obviously, there's some threatening of like legal action here. We know about that. But they're also kind of fighting the PR battle there as well as pressure mounts within some circles in the Big Ten to punish Michigan for the unorthodox actions of of Connor Stallions going around and traveling uh, to these various venues and allegedly in one case even being on the sideline for a Michigan State game against Central Michigan. There are a lot of Big Ten teams that want punishment there for that. Uh, but Michigan is a way of fighting back on this, I believe. You've seen some well-placed leaks as of late. Of Well, come to find out, you know, Rutgers and Ohio State, they can conspired to get the uh, Michigan signals and they shared them with like what Purdue or whoever else that actually what Michigan has been allegedly doing to other teams there's allegations that other teams were sort of combining their resources to somewhat do that against Michigan at least that's what the media reports are right now I know there was a story in the athletic about this it seems pretty obvious to me this was sort of uh, a leak aided by Michigan friendly forces to kind of you know kind of cloud the uh the narrative here for a moment the one thing that you'll notice about all of this though is is that while it may be true that other teams had Michigan signals and signs we believe that most teams have some access to other teams you know sideline information signal signs things like that what no one has credible credibly accused anybody else of is going to the links that Michigan allegedly went to to gain access to other team signals videoing them traveling to scout them in person that's the whole issue as it relates to Michigan and the current news reports of well so and so was doing it too that's the one thing that those news reports don't seem to be bringing up here right now the Michigan thing is getting very interesting because there's clearly a desire on the part of some to see Michigan punished but as we've said before the phrase we've used is this is simply too big to fail not only does the Big Ten probably not have the power to do this to Michigan there's honestly no belief that they want to and for all the hand-wringing from Michigan over the years about being such a distinguished university and stuff like that the truth is they're demonstrating in this particular moment they're more than happy to win at all costs if they believe they have a chance to win right now they do therefore they're willing to pay any kind of reputational price to win that's just what it's always been about for them even though obviously in a very hypocritical fashion they pretended otherwise there for years uh michigan wants to save this for the ncaa to do because they know the ncaa has no real power to do anything to them unless they want to play along with it this is ultimately going to prove to be pretty frustrating for fans because a lot of fans have a little bit more well-defined moral boundaries and what it seems like some of the people who lead organizations like this seem to have and uh, I think that's going to ultimately lead to some disappointment here because I do believe that Michigan's going to prove too big to fail. And I believe there may be lots of willing allies here, perhaps even some in the media, to sort of cover this up, confuse the situation, cloud the judgment of, oh, what can you really prove? And is it really so much worse than whatever somebody else was doing? Uh, power has a way of protecting power. Michigan, obviously, a very powerful entity within college sports. And it seems like there may be some circling of the wagons here to protect them here a little bit. We'll see if it continues that way. And we'll tell you where it goes. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of royal caribbean now before we get fully back to georgia here in a moment because i got one more point to make on the dogs before we wrap it up here today let me also give a shout out to our friends at the finish long drink last big day to 
tailgate in Athens on Saturday. That means cooler stock. A lot of you getting there early in the morning for the college game day. You roll through all day for the night game. Maybe a little cooler in Athens on Saturday, but folks will be bundled up and ready to go. And of course, when you think about a great tailgate experience, you think about the finished long drink because it goes great with the tailgate you have planned for Saturday or the game watching party you have there at home. The long drink cranberry, the long drink strong, long drink zero. That's no carbs, no sugar. The traditional, I like that, the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick, or for a limited time here in the Peach State, how about the peach flavored version of the finished long drink? You can try that uh, as well. And if you want to find out where you can pick some up, how about go online to thelongdrink.com for more on that. That's thelongdrink.com for more on that. And make the finished long drink this delicious, ready-to-drink cocktail, a mixed drink right in the can. Make that a part of your game day festivities here this weekend. Okay, let me conclude with this. So there's been some chatter here this week. And anytime that like Georgia fans are kind of fired up about something, there's a part of me that sort of wants to get involved with it because it's sort of fun to be involved. It's sort of fun to be on the same team as everybody. And I think there's been a desire here this week to really come down hard on Dallas Turner because of Turner's big hit that knocked Jaden Daniels out of the game on Saturday. And I'm sort of tempted to want to do this. It sort of feels like, oh, Alabama got away with whatever again. It sort of feels like that's a familiar theme. And, you know, listen, I like sort of poking, you know, at Alabama. I'm, I'm sort of in favor of all of that. Some Georgia fans have been kind of fired up about that a little bit this week that, that, Dallas Turner had the dirty hit. I had a Georgia fan the other day in our comment section sort of compared to Nick Fairley in the Auburn game of 2010. It's the kind of thing there's been some energy around when it comes to Georgia fans, college football fans in general, but Georgia fans are the ones that I care about. It seems like they've been talking about that a little bit as of late. And I'd like to just from a sort of, a, I guess, you know, you're tempted to want to sort of join the fray on that. Yeah, if Georgia fans are mad about this involving Alabama and the officials as sometimes goes then let me get involved with that there too but admittedly I have to sort of stop short of getting as involved with that or feeling that quite as strongly as some fans do because ultimately it's really the targeting rule I have a little bit of a problem with some people wanted Dallas Turner to get the targeting call on him because he hit Jane Daniels late ultimately caused an injury for Daniels and they want the big harsh punishment for Turner because of that because he hit the quarterback late and he hit him very violently forcibly as the uh, word sort of goes but ultimately I don't really want pass rushers guys chasing down mobile quarterbacks which is going to be relevant for Georgia a lot this Saturday and moving on uh, SEC championship two I don't want guys having to think so much about what they do trying to get to the quarterback because I'm a big believer that getting to the quarterback is sort of hard enough and when you get there it just doesn't seem like great players once they get to the quarterback are then going to have this shift in their mind of okay now I'm here so let me wrap him up carefully and bring him down gently that to me is just not what football is and I don't take any great pleasure in defending Alabama by saying that because frankly I find that to be pretty gross Alabama's got enough defenders in the media as it is I certainly don't need to add to that chorus but I do think about that as it relates to Saturday of you know once again on Saturday Georgia's got another quarterback much like Brady Cook and other quarterbacks that Georgia's faced or much like Jalen Milrow will be if Georgia faces him in the SEC championship where that's a guy who's going to be moving around in the pocket going to be running a lot and that's one of those situations where if you got a chance to hit him 
I want you to hit him. And I don't want this targeting rule hanging over everybody's head. Now, I don't want dirty hits and things like that. And I don't like it when anybody gets hurt. Of course, that goes without saying. But I do want football players to be able to play football. And that, I guess, has to include Dallas Turner last week. But especially when it comes to Georgia here this week. In fact, last night, Kirby Smart was asked about, you know, I guess being somewhat careful or, or, or watching out for how you hit a quarterback like Dart, who sometimes wants to keep a play alive with his legs, give himself a chance to throw. And in other cases, just flat out wants to run, you know, how you do that. And Kirby Smart said, hey, at a certain point when he takes off and he leaves the pocket at that point in time, he's just a football player and we're going to play football against him. Let me give you a Kirby Smart on that from last night. Once he's a runner, he's, he's no more protected than a running back. I mean, we're going to tackle him like we tackle backs. He's, he's physical. I mean, their backs are physical. They're, they're, they're all hard to tackle in terms of size and stature. He's, you know, you get over 210, 215 pounds, and they're, and they're running, you know, four fours, four fives. It, it's physical. And uh, he lowers his shoulder and competes um, to play. So um, I have a lot of respect for the way he runs. But in terms of us tackling him, it's going to be, you know, like we do a, a back. So in other words, if I come down too hard on Dallas Turner for this past Saturday, it requires me embracing a rule and an interpretation of rules that I honestly think makes football worse. The targeting rule, the excessive concern about how you tackle a player and what's ultimately a full contact collision sport. And that's not really what I want to be. I also want players to get hurt unnecessarily either, but football involves some risk. That's just obvious. So on Saturday, I hope Georgia does get aggressively after Jackson Dart. I hope that the uh, rules are enforced sensibly in a game like that. I believe that Kirby Smart gets this right. When you've got a running quarterback, you've got to treat him like a running back. And I certainly don't want, you know, uh, ticky-tack rules to kind of get in the way of what football is supposed to be. And I guess that requires me to also tolerate some of that when Alabama does the uh, same thing. So with that said, Georgia Ole Miss on Saturday should be a lot of fun. Something else that's also a lot of fun, that's giving out a golden shoe for today. And I always appreciate those of you who support our sponsors. Like, you just have no idea how much that means to me. Because, honestly, I got two kids and a wife. And my kids, they never stop eating. So, uh, you know, listen, (laughs) grocery bills, things like that. You know how expensive all that is. So, your support of our sponsors allows me to put food on my kids' table. Like, like, that is the nicest thing you'd ever do for me so thank you for all those of you who do and that's one of the reasons why we give out so many golden shoes to those who do show support to those who've been good to us over the years including our friends at dr pepper and by the way hopefully you'll be able to tell you something fun about dr pepper tomorrow but uh how about this golden shoe here today uh gary marks sends this to us uh listening to that victory pot again he means the show right after another georgia win with my dr pepper strawberries and cream and my dog bennett right there in my lap can you guess who he's named after yeah i do have a pretty good guess about that a two-time national champion quarterback and a two-time golden shoot winner for gary here on behalf of dr pepper strawberries and cream that's uh, awesome stuff thank thank you gary for sending that a well-deserved golden shoe for you how about the lousy stinking gators what a mess they are right now they haven't beaten george in a thousand ninety six days and that number is going to keep going up and up and up and that is a cool thing to consider in its own right all right y'all have a great day we'll see you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by breda past management